Today we're finishing up. We're in the second and final message in our two-week series on financial stewardship. We call it trust issues because what you do with money, how you feel about money, proves what you trust really, okay? I mean, and so it, it proves what you value and what you trust. And so does what you do with money, the question is, prove that you have trust issues with God right? Does it prove that there's some issues there of trust with God because it proves what you trust? Now, I want to I come out of the gate. I tell you this all the time. I know that preachers preaching and talking about money makes people in the seats feel awkward. I know that. I want you to know we're in this together because preaching about money makes the man on the stage feel awkward too, all right? I mean, it makes preachers feel awkward because some preachers have made it hard for the rest of us, to be quite honest. I mean, there are preachers we know of that, that, and we've heard throughout all of our lives that, man, they make promises about if you give, man, God's going to return you a windfall. You're going to have a nice house. You know, you're going to have an Escalade. I mean, you're going to have all that. They butcher it, and it makes it hard on the rest of us. We've all heard preachers uh, or evangelists, uh, you know, get on TV or, or whatever. And, and man, they'll beg you to sow their, your last seed, if it be, into their ministry and come, only come to find out that rather than using that seed for ministry, they used it and for mission, they used it to build a mansion. Or rather than getting on a plane, a jet, and, and, and going uh, to share the gospel on the mission field, man, they get in a private jet and go to their vacation home, right? And so and I want you to know I get righteously angry at that kind of stuff. I really do. Anytime a, a pastor or preacher butchers the Bible, I get angry, but I get angry when they butchered over, uh, over money or over any topic for personal gain, and I want to assure you that we do not preach on money here for personal gain. You know, I, I just I, I want to make I want to help you to really be confident of that. And so I want you to know, our, our, like our salaries, for instance, our salaries are governed by our board of directors, and uh, we have an eleven-person board. I'm one of the board. I'm not the chair of the board. I can't be. We set it up that way, and they made up of people within our church. They uh, set our salaries. And here's what I want you to know: our staff, none of our staff, is overpaid. None of our staff are underpaid. I'm happy about both of those. And here, how do I know that? Because we get salary surveys from Lifeway, Christian Resources, as well as uh, business administrator uh, uh, deals. We get salary surveys, and our staff hit the median mark just about in every realm. So we're not overpaid, we're not underpaid, and I think that's healthy and, and, and right and, and, and good, all right? I mean, none of our, none of our, our staff live, none, none of the homes of our staff are going to be profiled on MTV's cribs, all right? You don't have to worry about that. I mean, listen, I drive a seven-year-old truck. It's got 135,000 miles. Amy dri uh, drives a, an eight-year-old Armada with 145,000 miles, and the seat just sort of goes back and forth on its own sometimes, okay? So I, I tell you that because I want you to be confident. We don't do this for personal gain. This is not about, you know, so daddy needs a new pair of shoes or anything like that, okay? Or baby needs a new pair of shoes or whatever. We preach on money because, number one, I'm charged with your soul as your pastor, Okay? As your pastor, I'm charged with your soul, uh, and, and uh, I'll give an account for how I preach God's Word. And number two, it would be a sin to avoid money would be a sin against both God and you. Money is an indicator. It is an indicator of your spiritual maturity and where you are spiritually. You know, there are countries around our world right now where people are getting killed because they believe in Jesus. And if you're in a country or you're in a context, cultural context, where you can have your head chopped off because you believe in Jesus, and yet you're loud and proud about your faith, then that's a pretty good indicator that you're a real deal, right? You're a real deal believer. I mean, but here in America, we're not going to have our head chopped off for believing in Jesus, right? We're not. And so in America, we have a lot of people who talk the talk. It's easy to talk the talk, 
but very few walk the walk. So how do we know, really? Well, that's born and what the fruit of your life bears. And money is a great indicator, one of the great indicators of your spiritual maturity. Your wallet will reveal what's true about you before anything or anyone else. It will call me a liar before anyone or anything else, right? I mean, our, that's what our wallet does because our wallet proves our, what we do with our money, how we feel about our money, proves that uh, what we really value and what we really worship, all right? And so let me give you some verses. I wanna, I wanna give you some verses that help you to understand there's a link between your soul and your money, all right? Um, it says, he who loves money, this is Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money, all right? Now, uh, I want you to understand loves, this is key word in this passage, do you love money? Now look, look at that. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Man, money, if I just had money, I mean, a little bit more money, right? I mean, how much money do we need? Just a little bit more. I think it was Rockefeller that said that. One of the richest men on the planet one time was asked, how much does a person need? And he said, just a little bit more, right? It doesn't matter what you've got. And here the Bible says, that's our mindset. I, if I could just have a little bit more. The Bible says, man, it, it, you'll never be satisfied. If you think money's the answer, the Bible's clear, money's not the answer, right? It says, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity, right? This is Solomon, wisest man in the world. He tried everything, went off the rails, and he comes back and he says, let me write about this in my last, at the end of his life. And he says, I know that you're going to love money and you're going to think just a little bit more. That's how much I need, just a little bit more. It's never going to satisfy you. Some of you are going to think, man, your wealth, if I could just get this uh, net worth, if I could have this bank account, if I could have this salary, if that's what you're looking for, it'll never do it. That's the Bible promise, Okay. That's the love of money. It's not money in itself. Look at Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I mean, here in, in Matthew, the Bible clearly tells us you can't, you can't love both God and money. You can't do it. You're gonna betray one to serve the other. And, and you're going to betray one and, and serve the other. And then in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money. You see that again? The love of money. That's someone who's greedy, someone man, who's got an appetite, someone who desires. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving. You see that word? I mean, man, you, you, you begin to love the craving, the desire that some have wandered away from the faith. You see, the love of money causes people to drift and wander from the faith. It's a spiritual indicator. You see, it causes people to drift uh, and wander from the faith <coughs> and, pierce, and pierce themselves with many pains. It brings so much pain in your life. The love of money. Now, the Bible doesn't say money's evil. Money's not evil. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy, okay? There's nothing at all wrong with that if it's in its proper place. But if you love money, it's the love of money, all right? It's the love of money. And these are but a few of the many texts that link our soul with money, right? And so the Bible is very clear that money has a dramatic and an incredible impact on your life, either a negative impact or a positive impact, but it will not be neutral, okay? Money will not be neutral. It will impact your life for the good or it will impact your life for the bad. It will, it will have positive or it will be negative, but it will not just be neutral and set there. And so last week, we talked about God's command to tithe, all right? That's give 10% of our income. That's obviously a dirty word for a lot of Christians because a nationwide, 2 to 3% of Christians tithe, 
okay? Two to three percent only, which is crazy. I think it's higher in this church. I don't know what it would be, but I hope it's higher than two to three percent, okay? I mean, if we're, if, just think about it. If 10 percent of the, of the Christians in this church tithe, we would be killing it on a national scale. And, and, and is that sad or what? Right, and so so only two to three percent, which is is sad, and and I think that that some some people misunderstand. Here's what I want you to know: God established the tithe, and He didn't do it because He needs your money. <laughs> he didn't do it because He needs your money. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he doesn't need your money. People think. <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> Get choked up. Some of you like, oh, thank you, Lord. He's getting choked up talking about money. <laughs> Maybe he won't be able to finish. <coughs> Oh, uh, some of you quit praying. You better quit right now. <laughs> so, uh, where was I? Okay, uh, some of, there you go. Thanks for I know some of you going to tell me right. Somebody taking notes. I love it. Thank you. Uh, listen, the tithe, and, and here's what we want to know. So I think some of you don't tithe. God, God needs our money. God doesn't need your money. That's not why he established a tithe. He doesn't need your money. Now, I said last week, I'm not going to say we don't talk about money because we don't need your money. We do. We, we need money. It's the only way we do mission. It's the only way we do work. But God's the, God's the resource for that. He's the, he's the resource. You're simply uh, the, where, where he, he gives through it. So we trust the Lord for that, okay? But God doesn't need your money. That's not why he told you to tithe. I mean, God, uh, th- think about it. Th- to think that God is not sitting in heaven God the Father looking at God the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, how much money do we have? I really want to help that orphanage out. Right? I mean, that's not what God's doing. God has an endless supply of cash. It never ends, his resources. And what we see in the New Testament, he pulls money out of fish's mouths. Right? I mean, he can do what we can't do. If God, God can speak, and there it is. God doesn't need your money. He has it anyway. It's his. He can take it if you want it. Right? I mean, God doesn't need your money. That's not why he established the tithe. He established the tithe as a grace, as a grace in your life to make sure that you love God more than money. That's why I establish it. Because when we tithe, we realize I love God more than money. I, I'm proving it, man. I, I'm putting it first. It's first things first. And, and so, so he, he, he established it as a grace to help us love God more than money. Now, to this week, today, we're going to end this series by talking about another grace that God has given us in the battle of our heart, to win the battle of our heart, and that's generosity, okay? Now, generosity is not tithing, okay? Tithing doesn't make you generous, it makes you obedient, okay? Generosity is above the tithe. It's beyond the tithe, but, but really, it's not even about the money. Generosity is about your heart, Okay, because generosity, is, it's, not, it's, it's, it's way more than money. It's about your life. Are you generous with money? Are you generous with your time? I mean, you know, it's about, we, we need you to be generous with your time because you've got a certain amount of time and you think, man, I, I, I've got to work, I've got to do this, I've got my kids ball, I've got, I, I mean, you can start naming it. It's like, man, we need you to be generous. We've got to have people serving in so many areas, preschool, children, t- teenagers, uh, I, I mean, uh, worship arts, I mean, media. We've we got so many things and, man, we need you to be, are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your skill? Are you generous with your possessions? Are you generous with your money? So generosity is about life. And it's about a, a mindset, right? It's, it's not about money. It, it's about a, a, a mindset. And, 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 and let me ask you this. Uh, man, you love generous people, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, do you want a generous husband or do you want a greedy husband, right? Do you want a generous wife or a greedy wife? Do you want a generous parents or do you want greedy parents? Do you want generous children or do you want greedy children? Do you want a generous boss or do you want a greedy boss? 
Do you want generous friends or greedy friends? We love generous people. None of us want greedy people in our lives, right? We don't love greedy people. We want greedy people out of our lives. Are you a greedy person? Are you a generous person? I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a question that we really need to think about, not just, it's not rhetorical. I mean, that's a question that we really need to sit down in our quiet times possibly and go, God, am I generous or am I greedy? What does my life prove here, right? What do I want to do? And so today we're going to look at Acts. I'm, I'm sorry, not Acts. That's a great book too, but we're not going to look at it today. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul wrote this to a really jacked up church. I mean, the church in Corinth was messed up. And he wrote to them to correct a lot of things in, in, in Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians 9, he writes, and as you're going to see, this is, I want you to know he writes under the assumption that those who call themselves believers who've been truly transformed by the grace of God will be generous. That's his assumption. It's sort of like the assumption that those who love Jesus will love church and go to church and those who love Jesus will be in the word, and, right? I mean, so, so there, there's an assumption here by Paul that those who uh, are born again will be generous and it tells us why we should be generous and it tells us what happens when we are. And so let's jump in and begin to break it down. Let me read 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, let me, let me pause here. Let me hit the pause button. And we'll come right back to that. This is a universal biblical principle. Tim Keller even goes so far as to say that this is an absolute principle in the Bible. It's what Proverbs is all about. If you read Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs, right? I mean, uh, one for every day uh, of, of the month, if they ends in 31, right? And so, so, I mean, you could read a proverb every day along with it. That would be awesome. But if you read Proverbs, here's what you're going to find. You reap what you sow. You reap wickedness. I mean, you sow wickedness in your life, you're going to reap wickedness. You sow generosity, you're going to reap, uh, reap uh, generosity. You sow righteousness, you're going to reap righteousness, okay? That's what you're going to find out. You sow what you sow into your mind, you're going to reap in your life. You sit in front of your computer, you put stuff in your mind that you shouldn't put by looking at stuff you shouldn't look at, and you're going to reap stuff in your life that you don't want. That's sowing wickedness, that's reaping wickedness, right? You put the Word of God in your mind, and you're going to reap stuff that you want. You sow righteousness, you're going to reap righteousness. This is a universal, biblical, absolute principle all through Scripture that deals with all areas of your life. You, you sow into your relationships. You sow time. You sow generosity into your relationships. Uh, man, you sow good words into your relationships. You're going to reap better relationships. Man, you sow, sow greed into your relationships, selfishness into your relationships. You sow, sow words of, that, that are harsh, and you're going to reap that out of your relationships. It's so simple, and we know this principle. Here, Paul applies it to our money and says it's true in every area of your life, including your finances. And so he says, so the point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. <clears throat> Each one must give as he has decided, he or she, in his or her heart, not reluctantly are under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. See, God has distributed. What I have is because God gave it to me, and what you have is because God gave it to you. He's distributed everything, money, possessions, skills, talents, your desires. He distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, Paul says we shouldn't be generous under compulsion. We shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, the heart of a true Christ follower shouldn't be, okay, okay, Pat, I I know we should tithe to make God happy. Now can we talk about something else, right? I mean, I got it, I got it. That's not the heart of a true Christ follower. Here's the heart of a true Christ follower. It's not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not like God's trying to beat you into submission, okay? It's not begrudging submission. Here's what it's about. The heart of a Christ follower is this. Man, I have received grace that I do not deserve for salvation that I could not earn. God is a generous God. God is a gracious God. I want to be generous and I want to be gracious because God is so generous and gracious to me. That's the heart, right? It's not under compulsion. It's not reluctantly. It's under, the motivation is, man, God is so generous and gracious. I want to be generous and gracious. Now, notice Paul, he talked about the bread and the seed. He, he, he supplies both the bread and the seed. What's he doing? Why did he talk about both those things? He's attacking the ownership myth. Because you won't, you won't be generous if you believe and buy into the ownership myth, right? The ownership myth is that you own everything. Well, he attacks it here. Because some people, in other words, here's what he's doing. Uh, some people could have a loaf of bread, and that day they could make a loaf of bread and say, this is my bread. I'm not going to share it with my neighbors. I barely have enough for me. I'm not going to share it, right? This is my bread. And Paul's like, in that day, they would have understood. I mean, you, might, you could use a lot of different things. You could use your car in this example. You could use uh, whatever. But in that day, Paul's, uh, Paul said, you know, uh, he, he, he who supplies the bread and the, and the seed, he's attacking the ownership myth because some people could say, man, I, I, this is my loaf of bread. I made it. It's mine. And they said, oh, really? It's yours? Well, well, how'd you make the bread? What'd you make the bread with? Wheat? Well, where'd you get the wheat? From seed? Well, where'd you get the seed? And he's going back to say, listen, God's the one that provided it. It's God's. He owns it. He gave it to you. And that's important because the key to generosity is understanding you don't own anything. God owns everything. Everything you have, God gave to you. Matter of fact, right now, what do you have in your mind that God did not give you? What do you have that does not belong to God in your mind? What do you have? It all belongs to God, man. And that, that's what he's saying here. And, 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 and we hate it. I, let me give you an example of how we, we do not like greedy, greed and, and, and selfishness. You hate it when your kids are greedy, right? How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Right? Great. You have kids? Raise your hand. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, how many of you have friends? If you don't have kids, you don't have to raise your hand. But we, we know selfish people. Now, if we have kids, I've got five kids, two grown Three, you know, nine, 10, and 11, about to be 10, 10, and 11, they're like triplets. And so, man, I, I've, I've known this for 31 years now, okay? I mean, our, our kids, man, they're greedy. I mean, they are greedy, selfish. We have to beat the sin out of them. Don't, I, I, I'm joking, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. We have to discipline, let me say that, we have to discipline the sin out of them, right? Golly, don't, don't go out and do that to your kids and blame me. That was a total joke. Uh, but our kids are born, and man, it's like they're born selfish and greedy, right? And I mean, uh, I mean, it's like my, the first word they learn is mama. The second word they learn is mine, right? Sometimes mine's the first word, mama's the second word. You know that, right? And so, so our kids are greedy, and you hear them all the time. It makes me so upset when my kids, man, they, one of them's got something, and the other one says, hey, can I have a bite? Can I have one? They're like, no, it's mine, right? And it's like, oh, my goodness, that just drives me crazy. I mean, I want to teach them, right? And so, so what, what if, what if, what if I, I stopped on the way home, 
man, and I got me a, a huge bag of Reese's peanut butter cups. I love those things. Y'all, you know, peanut butter, chocolate, yes, right? Good marriage. And so, so uh, I got a big bag of Reese's peanut butter cups. And man, I, 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 I said, kids, I got y'all something. I love you. And I got you this bag of Reese's cups, but you got to wait till after lunch to eat them. And, and so, so we go home and man, uh, we have lunch. And later, man, I know I hear them down in there, you know, getting into Reese's cups. And I say, I want a Reese's cup. And I get up from watching football. I go down and say, hey, kids, I want a Reese's cup. And you know as well as I do what they're going to want to do, what they do most of the time, right? They're, they're ours, Daddy, mine. It's mine. And my move's always bad move, right? That's a bad move. I, and, I, you know, I, I, it goes something like this. It happens. Who, who bought those Reese cups? Who bought? Did you buy them? I bought them, right? So whose are they really? Oh, oh, oh they're mine, okay? Who gave them to you? You, you know, I mean, it's like, and, and kids, y'all don't understand. I, I don't have a lot of money, but I got enough money to buy every stinking Reese cup in Dollar General. I guarantee you that, right? <laughs> if I wanted to, I could make it rain Reese cups on your head like all day. I could fill your bedroom up with Reese cups, right? But you know what? Since you don't want to share them, I'm going to take what I've given you away. Because no loving parent would just think, oh, he's selfish, but it's just going to work out, right? It's just going to work out. No, a loving parent disciplines, shapes, molds their children to not be greedy, right? To not be selfish, right? That's what a loving parent does. We get so upset when our kids are greedy and selfish, yet that's exactly what we do to God when we're not generous with what God has given us. That's exactly what we do. And so, so you know, Paul sa- says if we understand this, it will enrich our lives. You saw that word, right? I sort of underlined it with my finger because I wanted you to see it because it will enrich our lives. In other words, get this, it will make you rich. Now, before you go out, I don't want you to get me confused with one of those kinds of preachers, right? Uh, I didn't say it's going to make you wealthy. I didn't say it's going to make sure if you give, you know, this seed, God's going to pour back all. That's not what I said at all. I didn't say it'll make you wealthy. I said it's going to make you rich. Now, it'll make your life rich. Now, let me explain so you get it, okay? Wealth, and what I'm talking about, has to do with assets. You have a certain amount of wealth. You have assets, whatever it is. If you have a car, if you have a house, if you have any kind of bank account. So that's your net worth. That's your wealth. It's your assets. That wealth has to do with assets. Rich has to do with a mindset, okay? And let me help you to understand that. If you're wealthy, man, we got wealthy people in our church. I'm thankful for wealthy people. I'm thankful for people who aren't wealthy. We, if you're wealthy, right? If you're wealthy, you can go out and buy whatever you want. If you're wealthy, you've probably got the assets, the resources to go out and buy whatever you want. If you're rich, you've got things money can't buy, okay? Now, I, I, I want to say that because I want to, wealth allows you to buy whatever you want. Rich life means you've got stuff money can't buy. Think about this for a moment. In your quiet time this week, uh, uh, in your quiet time this week, what you need to understand is, I want you to, to, to go back and understand what's important. If you were to begin to list three things, if I said list the three things that are the most vital, the most important things in your life, list those things. I would hope and I would bet not one of those things would be able to be bought with money. Do you realize that? I don't think any of you, if I said, what's the most important thing to you in this world? I don't think any of you would say my house. I mean, push come to shove and I'm gut honest. I don't think you'd say my car. 
I don't think you would even say, man, the college education that I bought as much as, as very important as that, I don't think that would be like the most important thing. I don't think it would be a, a possession of any sort. You know what I would think it would be? It would be things that money can't buy, the things that would enrich your life, right? It would be number one, salvation if you're a Christian, grace of God, family, contentment, peace. I want peace in my life. I want joy. Money cannot buy any of those things. Money can make you happy over the top for a moment, man, because you buy that car, and I'm happy. And in one month, man, I get the, the, the payment, and I'm like, what? Right? And, and then some yo-ho is going to scratch it in the parking lot, and then I'm going to be mad. And so it's not the happiness. See, it's not going to bring me joy, right? It's going to bring me something that fleet. Nothing you can buy, nothing you can buy will give you joy. Nothing you can buy will give you peace. Nothing. You see, the things that enrich your life, you can't buy. That's what you want. I mean, I hope the Lord helps you be wealthy. You know, that's awesome. If he doesn't, that's, that doesn't matter either. Because what you really want is a rich life, not a wealthy life, I hope. Or there's, there, there's misplaced priorities there. And so, so I want you to think about this, how you can be captive to these things and how, the, how, how those things, if your mindset is on those things, man, they don't produce a life uh, of, of richness. They produce a life of poverty, po- spiritual poverty, emotional poverty, right? Think about these statements that we make. Some of the statements, I just want my kids to have every opportunity. You ever heard somebody say that? Man, I want my kids to have it better than me. I don't say that. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I really don't want my kids to have it better than me. You say, Pat, what? No, why why would I want that for my kids? Why would I want them to not have to grow through the things I've grown through? I think that's a big problem with some of our kids, right? I don't think your, your, your goal in life should be to make your kids an easy road. I just want my kid to have every opportunity. No, you don't. Have you seen a kid that has every opportunity? Nobody likes that kid. You know what we call them? An entitled, spoiled brat, right? Huh? I mean, you don't want your kid to have that. So, so you know, I mean, think about that. That's not a rich life. That's, that's a life that produces spiritual poverty and emotional poverty, right? Uh, man, I, we, we, we want to keep up with everybody. We got to keep up with everybody. We're in this consumeristic world, right? In this, in this capitalistic, consumeristic American dream world. And man, I, I, we got to keep up with everybody. And let me tell you what that produces within our souls and within our lives. Man, I begin to feel good or bad about myself based on what kind of house I live in or what my address is, right? I begin to feel good or bad about myself based on what kind of car I drive. Man, if my car is not up to standards and I've got to come to your house, it's like I'm driving that old car. I mean, I'm, 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 I, my address, my zip code, I feel good or better about myself. That's why, man, I make it here and I got to move to this zip code because, man, I feel good about myself then. That's what we do, right? Man, that's not a life of, 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 of spiritual richness, that's not a rich life. That's a life of spiritual and emotional poverty, to be quite honest. You're bound. You're captive. You see, a rich life, a rich life's not, you're not defined by what you drive. In a rich life, you're not defined by where you live. In a rich life, you're not defined by where you go on vacation and what you have, right? In a rich life, you're content. You're content with what you have and, and thankful when God gives you more. Right? You're thankful for it and you're content with what you have. You're grateful for, for when God gives you more and then that causes you to be generous overflowing because you, you're, you have a rich life and you, you know, I have things that this can't buy, right? 
And, and you're rich because you're content. And listen, folks, you need to be content because everything you have, here's what I want you to understand. I've said it's not yours, but you only have it on loan for a moment. Did you know that everything you have, think about it right now, the car you drove in on today, man, the house that you're going to, or the apartment, wherever you live, the, the, the home that you're going to drive back home to, any possession, man, you only have it for a moment. You know all that stuff's going to be in a garage sale soon? Did you know that when they paint you up like a circus clown and put you in the ground, your kid's going to put that stuff in a garage sale. Do you know that? And then, then you're going to realize, man, it didn't really matter. Right? And so, so listen, uh, uh, folks, a rich life is not a life that's held captive to all the strapping. The love of money and the love of wealth. The, the love of money is the root of all kind of evils. Right? Not money. Man, whatever you got, use it. Be thankful for it. Go on vacation with it. Buy your family something with it, right? I mean, have a car, have a, in proper place. After you give God, you make sure God understands I love you more than money and I'm grateful for what you've given me with your generous, by being generous with it, right? Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15. It says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. You see, talking about your submission to God when it comes to generosity is an example and a testimony to the gospel has taken root in your life, which causes people to notice and go, wow, what causes them to be that way? Because the world is selfish. I want to know more about that. Okay? And it says, and the generosity of your com contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So two things happen, Paul says, when people are generous. One, you meet the needs of others. That's what he talks about, the needs of the saints, the needs of people. When you're generous, guess what, man? Orphans have their needs met. Widows have their needs met. Poor people have their needs met. Sick people have their needs met, right? People's needs are met through the generosity of God's people, okay? That's how, you know, missionaries all over the world today are on the mission field, uh, vocational, I say, because, man, I, I fully believe with all my heart, if you are saved, you're saved to be sent, you are redeemed to represent. You should be living on mission, right, every day in your life. There are some that God calls to do it vocationally. I believe he's calling some of you to do that. We'd like to help you process that, talk with you about it, all right? And those who are on the field today are on the field based on the generosity of God's people, right? People gotten saved all over the world. People getting saved all over the world because you're generous. Did you know that? Because you, you, you tithe, which allows us to to, send, to help send missionaries because you give generously to, like our one day, we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, offering, which sends missionaries. People all over the world are getting saved. When you get to heaven, there's going to be kids, there's going to be people, I'm sorry, in heaven, that when they were a teenager, man, they weren't involved in church, they had no clue, they didn't know how to spell church, and they went to our youth camp, and they got saved at youth camp. Why? Because some of you were generous and made a, a possible uh, for a scholarship because they couldn't afford to go. And they went and they got saved at camp. So there's going to be people in heaven that you meet that are there because of your generosity. Now, folks, listen, that's satisfaction. So that's a rich life right there. There's going to be marriages that make it to the end because of your generosity that provided counseling for those marriages. 
Do you know there's kids right now that eat food on the weekend because of your generosity? Did you know that? Because when you give to our one-day offering, when you tithe, here's what we do. We buy backpacks and we buy food. We take it to the school for kids that are on the free lunch program. And then we go, that, we go further and ask the counselors and the teachers and the principal, okay, who are the kids that are, the, 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 that are on this program that literally probably won't have anything to eat on the weekend? You, we know you know those kids. They give us the names. We take backpacks filled with food so that they can pick them up, take them home, and have food on the weekends. Why? Because you're generous. There's ministry that takes place in the Journey Home down in Murfreesboro, which is a homeless shelter. Why? Because you're generous. I mean, man, I could go on and on and on because of your generosity, how you meet the needs of people. That's what Paul said. People's needs are met. Why be generous? Because God is good and God is great and God is generous and God is graceful. You've received grace you didn't earn for salvation you don't deserve, right? Or grace you don't deserve for salvation you couldn't earn. However you want to look at it, you've received that generosity and grace of God and you should be generous. And what happens when you are? People's needs are met. And then most importantly, what's the second reason? Because God gets glory. That's what he said. Man, people look at you and how the gospel has taken root in your life, and they give approval of that, and they praise God. What does that mean? They look at what you've done, and then they say, that's different because our world is dog-eat-dog. It's all mine, selfish. You're different. What What causes that kind of generosity? And then you're able to share the gospel, and they're able to say, whoa, I want to give God praise. That's what happens. God gets glory when you get generous. That's amazing. That's what, that's what Paul says, and, and it's, it's amazing, right? And so, so the question is, are you a generous person? Not just with your money, but with your time, with your talents. Like I said, we need people to serve. And are you generous? I mean, are you generous with your time, right? I mean, we need people to serve. And, and I know you say, well, Pat, let, let me assure you, and I, I want you to understand, I know you say, Pat, you work for the church, and you're asking us to serve and, and you work there, right? We pay you to do this stuff. And so, do, I, I mean, do you serve? Because you sort of get paid. Listen, I want you to know, I, I, I volunteer my time too. I, I serve because I want to be generous with my time. And I, I coach football for, I can't tell you how many years with, when I didn't have any kids in football. Uh, after my kids were, my, my, my son was gone, I still coached. That was about 10 to 12 hours a week that I spent in football, and, and why? Just because I love football, I love football, but because there were kids that had no daddy in their family that I could minister to, and a lot of those people come to our church. Some of you are here right now, right? I, I'm on the fire department board right now. I don't get paid to be on the fire department board because I want to serve my community. I'm asking you to serve. I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. That's, what, that's my point in telling you that, okay? Because we want you to be generous with your time, generous with your money, Generous with your skills, generous with your resources. Are you a generous person? You know why I think most people that aren't generous aren't? I don't think it's because they don't want to be. I really think you want to be generous. I especially know if you're a Christian, if you are born again, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And the Holy Spirit living within you is going to, is a generous God. And so that's going to start coming out of you, the desire, as he transforms you into this. So I really believe you want to. Why do most people not? I believe it's because of fear. Matter of fact, I believe that's why fear keeps people from doing anything that they should. Some of you, God's calling to the mission field. I've said that, to be vocational missionaries. Everyone is a missionary. Some of you, to be vocational. And some of you are like, man, you might, be, you might be holding back because you're afraid. You're afraid you'll be lonely. You're afraid you don't have the skill. You're afraid you won't know anybody. You're afraid you'll have to leave your family. You're afraid, where will I get the money? You're afraid? Fear keeps you from doing that. Fear shouldn't keep you from obeying God. Some of you need to be baptized. 
and you're afraid, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to be in front of people. Some of you need to walk across the street and share the gospel with your neighbor, and you're afraid. And it's your, the, the fear of, of rejection, the fear of not knowing what to say is keeping you, with sharing the gospel, keeping you from sharing the gospel with somebody at work or across the street. It's fear. Fear keeps us from doing what God commands us to do. God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power, Right? I believe fear keeps you from being generous with your finances. I believe, I believe people are, don't, are not generous because it's not because they don't want to be. It's because, man, I'm afraid if I do, I, I won't be able to go out to eat. I'm afraid if I do, I won't be able to maybe get the house I want or the car I want or take the vacation I want. I'm afraid, right? Fear should not keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Man, I, let, let me give you an example of that. I, I heard this this week, and this was actually David McCam and our, uh, our uh, Riverdale campus pastor uh, gave me this, and I'm giving him credit for it because I don't think it's true, uh, and, and I want you to know where it came from. Uh, but uh, I heard this week that a Peace Corps manual for volunteers serving in the Amazon uh, gives instructions on how to react if you're attacked by an anaconda. I don't know about you, but I don't need a manual for that. <laughs> Do you? You need a manual for that? I mean, the anaconda, I know, is the largest snake. You've seen the movie, right? <laughs> it's the largest snake in the world and can grow, up, grow to be about 35 foot long. It's part of the constrictor family, right? And so, man, it constricts the life out of you, then swallows you. And so, man, it can swallow like a 350-pound animal uh, whole. And here's supposedly what it said, okay? First off. The manual says, man, if you are face-to-face with an anaconda, don't run. <laughs> yeah, right. What fool wrote this book, right? Don't run. Don't run. I mean, uh, it says the anaconda uh, can, probably can catch you, and, and I, I say let it try. And, and if I'm in the jungle, in the Amazon, I promise you, I'm not going to be in the Amazonian jungle by myself. So all I got to do is outrun a dude with me. Right? I mean, that's scriptural. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for a brother. He's going to have a lot of love for me that day. Right? So all I got to do is outrun that dude, first off. So I'm running. But it says lie flat on the ground and keep your arms closed and your chin tucked in and don't move. Play dead like if you've heard of a bear attacks you. Play dead. Right? I mean, because the snake's gonna, he's not going to constrict you. You're already dead. And so, so man, he, he'll crawl over you. And then here's what it says. Okay, this is, why, this is why I'm just telling you what it says. The snake will come in and begin to swallow your feet first. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. <laughs> yeah. The snake will begin, I guess you've got to keep the end in mind. The snake will begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm just laying still. I mean, when I'm checking my text or something while the snake's eating my feet. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly reach down, take your knife and insert it into the snake's mouth between its mouth and your leg and suddenly rip upward, severing its head. Oh, Lord, help. <laughs> Listen. Here's the deal. I don't know if I could escape an anaconda, but I promise you one thing. I'm not obeying the manual. <laughs> right? I mean, I, you know, I'm going to wet my pants and run like a rabbit on Red Bull. You know that. <laughs> now, I think if you snope this thing, it's all a joke. Okay? David, bless his heart, he found it and thought it was real. And, I, and this, this is all somebody's joke. But my point in saying it is this. You know, I... I Fear keeps you from doing what the manual tells you to do. 
And I'm not talking about this crazy manual. I'm talking about God's manual. Fear keeps us from doing what the word tells us to do. Don't let fear keep you from experiencing the blessing of obeying God and living where God wants you to live in his will and his plan. Don't let fear keep you from, from experiencing the adventure, the richness of following God. Don't do that. I mean, don't do that with any aspect of your life, from sharing the gospel to living your life on mission to being generous with your money. Don't let fear keep you. Don't let anything keep you from obeying God and missing, missing out on the blessing of being used by him in partnership with him to literally change the world. Don't do that. Now, you may be here today and, and, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to, to absolutely write off and avoid everything I said because I think those are biblical principles. And biblical principles apply to the betterment and richness of life. So I'm not saying ignore that, but here's what I am saying. We don't want you to start with any kind of money. We want to start with your heart. You give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you don't know how, what that means. Come back to the next steps. We would love to talk to you about that, okay? We would love to talk to you about what that means. You start with giving your heart. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and the Holy Spirit resonates with God's word being lived out. Matter of fact, that's what he, 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 the Holy Spirit wants to work himself out of you. And so I know this resonates with you and I would challenge you to, to look and ask yourself at Thanksgiving, when you begin to think about all you're thankful for, am I generous? Am I a generous person with my time, with my skills, with my family, with my resources? with my money? Am I generous? And then ask God to help you be a generous person and live in the obedience to his call and his will upon your life. 